Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Deeper Roots podcast. My name is Uthman Quick, and I'm here with our Sheikh again, Abdullah Hakim Quick. How are you doing today, Sheikh? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all conditions at all times. Okay, so again, we're back talking about uh, something that pretty much the whole world is talking about now, and that is the the passing of the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II. And I just wanted to start off the conversation by asking you, Shay, when you heard the news, what was like the first thing, kind of things that came to your mind? The passing of Queen Elizabeth, um, to me, was not a shock in, in the sense that um, she died, because as a human being, she was like 96 years old and uh, she wasn't well, so so it wasn't strange to me, but but really what what it represented is the the, the changing of the God. It's in other words, one era has ended, mm-hmm. and another era is about to begin. So really, that that's what's significant for me, because I tend to look at things from a historical perspective. So from a historical perspective, it is the closing uh, of an of an era because she ruled for approximately seventy years. We've seen. A tidal wave of, of response, of course, uh, on social media, you know, in conversations with people that we know. And, and really, I think there are pretty much two camps of people, although there's a third, which we might talk a little bit about uh, later in, in the discussion. And the first is being people who are actually looking at this event as a sad thing, who are mourning. Um, looking at the legacy of the queen and, and what she did that was positive and and are sad about that and that's really like the mainstream kind of view of that i mean especially living in canada here where we are um then there's the other uh group and we've seen a lot of it on twitter from black twitter from irish twitter of people who are memeing the heck out of this who are uh celebrating who are posting really, um, I mean, some of the memes are funny, but some of it is is quite nasty and quite difficult to to look at and to see. From from your perspective, from the perspective of a Muslim, but also from the perspective of somebody who's interested in history, who is a historian, mm-hmm. where do you see yourself in in which camp or or which which side of of this debate? Well, the Islamic position uh, is basically Ummat and Wasata, and that is the middle nation, the balanced nation. And so we, we, we take a balanced look at the, the events that are happening in the world because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately you know, is the one who decides on life and death. So that in terms of a person dying, this is the loss of human life. And that person, she has a family, she has uh, neighbors and friends, and they're sad and it, it's only naturally for them to, to feel grief. However, um, for myself and for the many millions of people who suffered under the, the British monarchy, um, I don't feel obliged to be mourning. So they say 12 days of mourning, five I, I don't feel obliged to mourn you know, a, a person like this who has di- died. However, we should show respect in the sense of, you know, to get nasty and to be cursing people. This is against the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who 
told those followers not to curse you know the dead because they are receiving what they deserve now so so don't curse the dead and when a Jewish janazah came by on one occasion in Medina the Prophet stood up uh, when it went by and, and the companion said why are you standing up this is this is a, this is a Yahudi and he said is it not a soul so it is a, a you a soul that passed so he showed basic respect um, for that person who has passed as a historian and really it's the Islamic position we don't separate the past from the present and in this case as I said um, the, the, the changing of the God you know the era like what is that era what what does it actually represent uh, you know who does she who is she who does she represent and, and so this is important because people today tend to get caught up in uh, icons they get caught up in you know the names the pageantry the pomp the game of the thrones and, and all the different programming that you know we're, we're going through in you know in cyberspace and on television but the reality on the ground is something different so that is very important uh, that we reflect on even her name Elizabeth what does Elizabeth mean because she's Elizabeth the second but many people do not realize that Elizabeth the first in 1562 she ordered John Hawkins one of the British admirals to include in his cargo human beings so instead of just getting gold and cowrie shells other things from Africa now slaves were being taken that's Elizabeth the first she's Elizabeth the second now when you think of Charles because the Prince Charles is now going to be uh, King Charles III you look back at even at his name and you look at King Charles the first and you see that in the 17th century um, he officially uh, opened up the trade so Elizabeth was you know ordered Hawkins to do this but to make it an institution to institutionalize the trade that was Charles the first uh, in terms of the slave trade that was going on that triangle between Africa to the Americas to um, Britain and so it was that triangle that enriched not only the planters in the Americas but that is what built up the British Empire and that was Charles the first Charles the second he was responsible for uh, developing the Royal African Company and the Royal African Company this is the trading company now so it's not just individual boats it now becomes an institution and according to records the the Royal African Company uh, they actually moved in slavery more African people than any other company or individual in history mm. and it was Charles the second so now you're dealing with Charles the mm third -hmm. okay so now you have to look at the lineage we, we have to look at where they're coming from to understand you know the, the, the full ramifications of who they are and, 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 and what they mean the same way when uh, President Trump in America was saying make America great again that's the MAGA so you want to make America great again what was it great before you want to bring back slavery you want to bring back Jim Crow what, what do you want to bring back why you want to make it great why is it not so-called great now so similarly when when we're dealing with the monarchy we are dealing with 
you know, an empire that stretched around the world. And at one point, approximately 23% of humans on earth were dominated and controlled by the British Empire. Almost a quarter of humanity was controlled by them. And the riches um, were, were, were being taken out of their countries and atrocities were happening all over the world. And like this cannot be forgotten. And so it's important not to lose control of ourselves and, and get filthy and to curse. But we have to deal with the reality. Uh, you know, people say the pomp and the pageantry of the queen. And, you know, look at the beautiful crown that she has on. Look at that scepter. It's like that, that cane that she has. It, it's, it's, it's glistening with diamonds, but people don't realize that in the crown of the queen, there are approximately 2,800 stones. And that includes the Kohinoor diamond, which was taken out of India, which is one of the largest cut diamonds uh, in history that is in the crown. Right? Also, when you look at the scepter, um, you will see that, you know, that the diamonds that, that are there, the huge diamond, actually the largest diamond ever cut or, or taken was from South Africa. Okay, and a piece of that is, 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 is in her scepter. So you can literally look at her from top to bottom, which is millions of dollars, and you will find that 90% uh, you know, of her wealth that's on her body that, you, that we consider to be pomp and pageantry was actually stolen from Africa, stolen from India, stolen from the Middle East, and from other parts of the world. So, so, so this is the reality of that pomp and, 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 and pageantry. For a historian, um, we're not obliged to be caught up in this hype. So there are those that would, would look at her, her life and her legacy and her 70 years of rule and especially towards the end of it and say that she didn't really have that much power you know there was an an eroding of her power until up until the modern times when the the, the king or the queen is is more of a figurehead can we can we assign blame to her for you know the the, the sins and and the crimes of her ancestors or is there a modern reckoning that, that the queen and her family need to account for? Yes, I mean, we, we, we can't blame necessarily individuals for the actions of an empire. But she represents, you know, a cog in that wheel. She is the public relations aspect of the empire. And, and it, is, it is psychological. And you see people crying in Canada, crying in Australia. And, you know, why are you crying for? especially, you know, European people, they are crying because she represents power to them. That symbol on the top is, is, is sort of like the public relations face of white supremacy. So the individual who, who is, you know, takes that face is a human being, but the reality is it's a face. And one of the things about her, one of the unique factors about her, is that she was resolute in maintaining the face. Mm -hmm. She maintained, imagine being 96 years old and, and still coming out you know, for public appearances. That's amazing. Yeah, even days before she passed away. Even she... just before she passed yeah. away. But the reality is, is that the, 
rules that are being made for the country, the different laws enacted, the different actions taken by the British uh, Empire have to be sanctified and agreed upon by the crown. If the king or the queen says, I disagree with this, this is not right, they'll have a problem carrying it out. And the only way that they could is to overthrow the king or the queen, get rid of it and become a socialist state or something like that. But they don't. They maintain that veneer and that front because that pageantry puts people to sleep, just like Game of the Thrones, you know, puts this generation to sleep. And you'll see Robin Hood and you'll see King Arthur, you know, and so many programs which are being made in its pomp and pageantry when actually in those days they didn't have clothes like that. They were wearing rough skins. They didn't take a bath for like two years straight. Most of those pictures in Game of the Thrones and King Arthur are taken in Andalusia, in Spain. The clothing that they're wearing is actually based upon is Muslim clothing. Mm -hmm. You know, but, but, but for the younger generation that, that is cut off from history, this is what history is, 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 is being portrayed to them. And literally, that's what they think that the British were uh, before, instead of a, a bunch of robber barons, you know, who were using this deception, treachery, and technology to subjugate the world. They were subjugating people around the world, and they were carrying out genocides. If you look at India and the amount of wealth, they can't even count it. It's like billions of dollars, really, if you take the amount trillions. of wealth, trillions yeah. that was taken out of India. Uh, into the British Empire. If you look at the African continent, I studied in detail um, Chekhov's Mandenfodio, you know, of, of Sokoto, and, and that is uh, Nigeria. Okay, and um, the, the Sokoto uh, Caliphate, and I've studied this in details, and this was one of the greatest Islamic entities in West African history. And the final Khalifa uh, of, of, of Sokoto, At-Tahiru, he was confronted by Lord Lugard. So the British sent one of their major generals who had fought in India and other places there. He, he, he gathered his troops. Um, he gathered you know, loyal non-Muslims and other people and had his technology, his Gatlin guns and whatnot. And you know, he, he, he threatened the people of the north. Of course, the Muslims took a strong stance because they, their Khilafat had lasted over a hundred years. Um, and they weren't about to move. But Lord Lugard slaughtered, you know, hundreds and thousands of people. He killed the Khalifa and subjugated the people. So this is the British Empire that you're talking about bringing peace and bringing modernism. If you look at slavery, if you look at what they did, for instance, in Barbados, we, I have relatives, we have relatives from Barbados. If you look at the, the brutal form of slavery, the millions of people in Barbados, in Jamaica, in Trinidad, and, and all of the colonies of the British, and what they actually did, it's unbelievable. And even though they abolished slavery, they have never really, um, you know, publicly, you know, stated with actions, not just with words, the fact that they're sorry for what they did, and they want to make up for what they did. They've never done it. Kenya, if you look at the rule in Kenya, which was one of the jewels of the British Empire in East Africa, you find that they, they subjugated a section of the country, this Karecho, they call Karecho Farms. 
and it is there they planted tea. And, and, and the tea that came out of Corecho is, is, is one of the best qualities tea in the world. And then coffee, because there's rich soil there in Kenya. So they, they, they literally transported the people, subjugated the people, forced you know, migration, took over the land. And then when the, the Kenyans resisted, and especially Kikuyu people, when they resisted and formed what is called the Mau Mau movement, the, the response of the British Empire was to imprison over a million people, some estimates is like a million nine hundred people, in concentration camps. So you talk about Hitler and, and, and the Jewish people in Germany. This is the British now. And this is during Queen Elizabeth II's rule. Mm -hmm. During her rule, she said nothing to stop them. She sat back with the pomp and the pageantry and received the diamonds, received you know all of, of the of the blessings you know, and the wealth didn't say anything to stop this. So, on, you know, on a personal level, maybe she was kind and uh, considerate when she dealt with people. Although Megan probably would uh, <laughs> right, right. argue they, they, with that. But there's other people in terms of, right, yeah. racism. You know, the, the racism and the hierarchy. I mean, even President Obama and his wife. I mean, his wife had problems, you know, there too, you know, when, when they visited the Queen. But the, the reality is that we cannot forget, you can't separate those individuals from the monarchy and from what the British Empire represents to the world. Mm -hmm. And so the, the third uh, camp or column that we referred to earlier would be people who, who just look at this as a historical event that's happening. It's not, um, it's not a big deal. Let's just be, be quiet about it. Let's not say anything. Um, but what is what is the way forward? Is there a place to to ask for reparations and for retribution? And and how how does uh, how does that look from an Islamic perspective in terms of what what people who are wronged by this institution should be asking for? Right. From an Islamic perspective, when a sin happens, when injustice happens, and the person wants to come out of this, we have what is called a toba, and that is repentance. And Sidi Ahmed Zarouk, Rahimahullah, one of the great scholars of North Africa, um, you know, put it in a beautiful way. If you really want to repent, then first you have to make i'tiraf. You have to recognize that what you did is wrong. Secondly, then you repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's between you and your Lord. Third, is, is, is that you make the, the intention never to return to the sin. Okay, and fourth, and a lot of people don't realize this, Sidi Ahmed said, Rad al-Madhalim, and that means compensation. So if a man stole a thousand dollars, you know, from a shopkeeper, and then he makes his repentance to Allah, that's not enough. You owe him a thousand dollars. So you literally have to compensate as part of your repentance to Allah. And, and the, the ulama call it this haqqullah and haqqal ibad. So haqqullah is the right of Allah, right? And that's your, 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 your repentance, your sad. Haqqal ibad is the right of humans, the right of the creation of Allah. And that is that you owe that person a thousand dollars. And the final part of Tawbah is to look at your life and yourself and to recognize your weaknesses. You study yourself and you move you know, against 
falling back into these weaknesses. Now, in this case, we're looking at it, this is the Islamic framework of, 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 of repentance. And literally, what the British Empire has to do, it has to make its uh, reparations. We call it reparations. Okay, yes, there's going to be public statements. Some have already been made. Public statements, you know, that should be made that we are sorry for this. It is wrong what the British Empire did. Slavery was a sin. It was a terrible crime to humanity. They should clearly state this. That's not enough. It's reparations. And, and many people think that reparations is just money. So, for instance, let's cut a check. So we give each person $1,000, every black person $1,000, and, you know, and that's enough for the Atlantic slave trade. No. The CARICOM um, institution of the Caribbean, which is the, you know, the unity, the United Nations of the Caribbean region, um, and many reparations committees are looking at it in a, in a very holistic way, that it shouldn't be just individual reparations. Now, there may be certain individuals whose story may come out in slavery, and some of their ancestors are still here and can directly connect it. Then there could be some direct reparations. There could be parts of West Africa that's there. But we're looking at developmental reparations. So that means that those areas that were destroyed and ruined, which include underdevelopment of Africa, all along the West Coast, the areas, they need to be they need to have restitution. The places in the Caribbean region, Barbados, Antigua, Jamaica, Trinidad, all of the British islands. Okay, so we're just talking about Britain now, there's other countries as well. Right? Developmental, literally a, a portion of the wealth of uh, the United Kingdom needs to go toward these countries to, to, to develop the countries because they've been underdeveloped. The natural crops were destroyed for cash crops like cotton and tobacco and sugarcane. Now there needs to be development that happens and compensation needs to be done. And that should bring about um, satisfaction, that the people need to be satisfied. Not enough that you give them what you think they earn. They have to be satisfied and independent, and then it should lead to rehabilitation. So that means that the descendants of the African slaves of the European slave trade need to be rehabilitated and independent uh, and have their freedom and dignity uh, needs to be there. So this is an Islamic framework that we can look at in an institutionalized way and apply it to the British monarchy at this point in time. And that is really the balanced position. We don't curse the dead. We don't use low language. But at the same time, we never forget history because the past is directly connected to the present. So we, we end on, on this note and we, we pray that Allah would make clear to everybody and, and, and show us the truth and give us the ability to follow it and to show us falsehood yeah, I mean. and give us the ability to avoid it. Sallallahu ta'ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa barak wa sallam Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati ya ma'istifun wa salamu ala musaleen Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah Thanks for listening to the Deeper Roots Podcast This podcast was produced by me with Mad Quick The percussion only audio track is by Jibril Moore If you'd like to learn more about the work of the Shaykh Take one of his courses 
or read one of his books, follow him on Instagram or Facebook, or visit his website at hakeemquick.com.